Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast. October 2nd edition, we're going to talk UFC Portland. All kinds of stuff in the MMA world. I'm going to talk a little bit about Ring of Honor's pay-per-view that happened Friday night as well. I am joined by Showdown Joe. But first, we are sponsored by DraftBeast.com. Occasionally, you'll see me looking over at this screen because I picked up Frank Gore for a steal. He better come through for me, Joe, because if not, I won't get to brag next week. Well, actually, I probably will because I still have A.J. Green. And I was at Paul Brown Stadium Thursday, and he went off. It was great. <laughs> you got to be careful with these uh, these little gimmicks and these little uh, free codes that you do because people are starting to screen capture you. And for 500 Twitter points, what was Sean Ross doing here? I thought that was awesome. Well, you know, that happens. That happens here on the Fightful Podcast whenever we talk about one of – you boys. <laughs> so we had uh, UFC Portland last night. Not the most glamorous of cards. We'll say that. that uh, Not on paper. Not like a beauty that is UFC 205. But there was, there was some interesting stuff that happened on this show. You had uh, Curtis Blades defeating Cody East. Lots of people screaming karma about that based on some of Cody East's behavior. In the past, and Joe, you you can't. Well, I, I don't want to say you can't. You just never know with these heavyweight fights, even at the lower levels. Like what's gonna happen? You could have a situation like Curtis Blades and Cody East, or you could have a situation like Shamil and Walt Harris. Like the good and the bad, and I, at least the finish was good in the Curtis Blades Cody East match. But uh, that, that's what you can expect from heavyweights. Now, elsewhere on the card. Nate Morcourt just finds a way to hang on. I'll say this. Yeah, boy, the barn cat got knocked out. Yeah, if, um, if anyone read my Fun Bets article, uh, I was leaning towards three fighters on this card. Uh, I think it's the first time I've gone 0 for 3 uh, in, in ages. Uh, I was leaning towards a couple of other guys, and, and I thought McCrory would be able to pull something off here. If Nate was going to do it, I said Nate would have to do it early because of the MMA mileage on the body. Tamden would take his time, uh, eventually catch him in a submission or wear him down and, and get that TKO. And holy smokes, was I wrong. Nate Marquardt looked, um, I wouldn't say fantastic. Uh, I wouldn't say he looked vintage like his younger days, but he looked good, man. He looked really good and was able to get that uh, walk-off TKO head kick. I mean, it was, it was a, a sight to behold. First, he lands that right hand. Uh, <laughs> when he drops him, I said to myself, oh boy, this is going to be a long night for me if this continues. 
Nate Marquardt has now won two of his last three. He beat C.B. Dalloway in December, dropped a fight to Tiago Santos. Tamden McCrory, who won those two fights in Bellator, he took like five years off, came back, won a couple fights in Bellator, got back in the UFC, defeated Josh Saman, which, who we will talk about uh, actually here in moments, and has lost two in a row. Not, not a good sign, but I think that McCrory is able to bounce back. He's just 29 years old. He looks all of 79 years old, but – I think he'll be able to bounce back. This Josh Saman news, it's tragic, Joe. Like, he's found unresponsive. Details are are foggy as of right now. But another person was found unresponsive in that same Florida, I think, apartment or house. And there are reports that, that Saman is fighting for his life. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know what to say about this situation because I've never really met Josh, um, or sorry, spent time with him uh, on a personal level, just getting to know one another. So I don't know, and I've, I've never really heard uh, around his circle of friends or circle of, of coaches and stuff like that, anything positive and or negative uh, that would lead me to indicate that this guy could have some potential issues outside of the cage and outside of training. So uh, well wishes, obviously, hopefully he gets better. Hopefully if it's anything negative, he can turn his life around, but uh, first things first, hopefully he gets better, uh, and then we'll take it from there. Elsewhere on this UFC Portland show, Andre Feely defeated number 12, Hakran Diaz. Feely made Diaz fight his kind of fight. Like You don't often see Diaz doing what he did uh, throughout the duration. It's about especially early on, and then again late. But, but Feely brought the pain, and Feely has always had the ability – it's just been a, a matter of like you know putting it together on a consistent basis, and he still he still has trouble with that. I mean he you know dropping fights to Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway. Nobody's going to fault you for that. That that's going to happen. But uh, this is I would probably say the biggest win of Andre Feely's career, Joe. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, but you could have also made the argument this thing could have went the other way because depending on how subjective your own mind was in judging, you could have given this fight to Hawkman. It was a very close fight in my opinion, uh, but Feely's timing, Feely's angles, Feely's – and they talked about it on the broadcast, the body type that he has, you know, long and lanky and, and able to fight tall and fight with that reach. And he didn't put a number on, on Diaz, so a, a good performance. I and mean, he never got really suckered in. He didn't get taken down a few times but was able to reverse the position – uh, but yeah, a huge win for him. Um, nothing crazy that's going to put him into any sort of title contention. Um, but at the same time, it's it's moving him along the, the the line, moving him up the ladder slowly but surely. So a good performance by him. Uh, I thought it was funny with Danny Castillo in the corner, uh, always looking like he's miserable, like his fighter's losing. When you have you know Buckholz on the other on, on to his right, basically barking out orders. Um, I, I, Greg Jackson's always my favorite coach uh, of all time. Take nothing away from my boy Faraz Zahabi, but Greg Jackson will yell and scream for all three judges to hear what he's saying and spins everything positive. We call Dana White a spin doctor. Well, Greg Jackson's the spin doctor of coaching in a corner. He's always somehow, some way, making every scenario, especially negative ones, look good for his fighters and sort of psychologically implanting those seeds in the judges' minds. If you ever listen uh, to only Greg Jackson in a corner, if you're close to him, Sean, I'm not sure if you've ever done that, pay attention to the site. And I've, I've talked to him uh, during interviews on camera about this, and the guy literally has it down to a science. One of my favorites of all time was UFC 100, where GSP was in the corner, and he says, I think I tore my groin. And Greg Jackson says, I don't care. Hit him with it. Yep. 
That's Greg. That's Greg. I mean, there was a WEC event way back in the day. It was Cub Cub Swanson against – it was after the Jose Aldo fight, I think. Uh, It was Cub Swanson against – and in in that venue, the Palms, it was relatively quiet. And we were were, – the media was seated, I would say, you know, know, 100 feet from the cage up in this little area – uh, where we can have our laptops and stuff going, and you could hear Greg Jackson's voice just booming across the arena, and everything he was saying always ended with Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson, great punch, Cub Swanson. That's a wonderful. That's exactly what we want, Cub Swanson. You've got that game plan going, Cub Swanson. And those poor judges must have been like, "What the heck's going on here?" Oh, that that round went to Cub Swanson. That round went to Cub Swanson. So yeah, good job on, <laughs> on Greg for uh, for using whatever tactics he has to do uh, to get those judges to score those rounds for his fighters. Luis Enrique de, de Silva uh, took on the debuting 37-year-old Joachim Christensen, defeated him via armbar. This was a fun little fight, Joe. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, although, you know, when you start thinking about guys making their debut at 37 years old in the Super Bowl of MMA, again, it, it throws out that question you and I discuss every so often of, what? Like, no, no, no one really technically should be making their debut in the UFC at 37. But uh, Christensen did a pretty good job uh, as much as he could uh, until he got caught in that armbar, which I didn't think he was going to tap to just from the positioning. But the way uh, you know the Silva was basically putting the shin across the neck uh, and you know sort of torquing the body to the right, uh, great submission and, and caught him. He just caught him right, so it was a, it was a good fight, but. Um, Guys making their debuts at 37 in the UFC, I'm always going to be sort of raising an eyebrow eyebrow at that. Would you say that you would be rising an eyebrow at that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good, good. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of puns here. Uh, There was something you said during the last show when I was watching the event um, last night where I'm like, I got to bring this up to Sean. It hasn't hit me just yet. I'm sure when we get close to the fight, uh, I'll do it. But uh, yeah, uh, your, your puns uh, sort of resonate in my brain sometimes in everyday life where I'm sitting there literally, Sean, pumping gas or doing something. I'm like, what the hell did he say again? He's so crazy, this guy. So yeah. I know Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch, the SmackDown women's champion, uh, is the master of puns. She dates a UFC fighter, uh, Luke Sanders, I think. So... Yeah, she was asked if she would ever get an MMA, and she was like, "Hell no, I'm not getting an MMA." And then the she oh she had the it was just such a subtle little thing. They asked her what she thought of CM Punk doing MMA, and she said, "Well, God loves a trier." Like, oh, <laughs> wow, man, man, and she she really is a sweetheart. Also, uh, I had to mention the Caitlin Vieira Kelly Fashals the power slam in that fight. There was an honest-to-God power slam in the fight. If UFC wouldn't shut me down, I would love to put together, like, a pro wrestling and MMA, like, highlight. There was actually a a segment that we may end up doing. I have a catch wrestling coach, and we thought about doing a pro wrestling for MMA segment that would break down – he would, like, basically break down pro wrestling moves that worked in an MMA landscape. So that might be coming to you soon, guys, if I ever – uh, make that happen. This main card had some interesting stuff, Joe. Brandon Moreno defeated Luis Smoka. And what did we say the other night? That Luis Smoka had to win. For for um, for several reasons, Joe. He's a highly ranked fighter who isn't that far, wasn't that far off of a title shot. He was He had four straight victories. His last loss before this was against Chris Carriasso. Cincinnati. I was actually at that fight. 
he talked all this trash about Sergio Pettis pulling out with, and I quote, an injured vagina. And then he gets choked out in two and a half minutes by a guy who couldn't make it past the first round of the Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter that is still going on right now. Brandon Moreno, he became one of my favorite fighters right there just by his reaction. Like he seemed, this is great, Joe. It's genuine. It was 100% genuine. But this is, so the thing is, though, for anyone that tuned into the podcast and you and I were discussing the fact that Smolka, you know, just just messed with his karma, put so much pressure on himself. Um, And then the very first exchange that happened, obviously, uh, good on Smolka for trying to bully uh, Moreno, you're in the octagon. You're in the UFC now. This is the big show. I've already fought here. You're not coming into this cage uh, and going to dominate me. So he decides to bully uh, Moreno, and Moreno responds with a vicious combination. And you see Smoke will be like, "Whoa, okay, <laughs> all right, we got ourselves a fight here." And lo and behold, uh, it didn't take long. It's in twenty Moreno to lock in that that guillotine choke, uh, and he had it on twice. So the first time he had to adjust. Second time, he brought, brought the elbow up, and he locks in that submission. And, of course, you saw the genuine joy. Uh, he, he still was like it, – it, it didn't even – like he gets up, and he's just kind of like in the middle of the octagon going, uh, uh, does the interview. He's on cloud nine. Uh, the worst part, though, of all that was, you know, after the, the official announcement from Bruce Buffer, uh, you know, Moreno kind of goes over to Smolka and goes to shake his hand and turns around and just leaves him standing there. Like, dude, like you just a crow. You should be a lot more respectful. You embarrass yourself. Nobody embarrassed you. You embarrass yourself. Just put your head down. And in my opinion, you know, you just you ate crow, shake his hand, and you go back to the drawing board and you come back. You try and quote unquote put put him back on your radar one day to have a rematch. But you know, you do this all to yourself. Don't don't embarrass yourself anymore. And I think he embarrassed himself by doing that because he's an awesome fighter. And we saw his last fight. The guy was vicious uh, with the amount of submission attempts and what he was doing. And then he gets you know he paints himself in a corner gets caught, gets hurt, and is very disrespectful afterwards. But, you know, like you said, big fan of Moreno now. Can't wait to see what Brandon does moving forward. It's only his, his first fight in the UFC. He's a flyweight. Uh, it's a division that's, you know, always looking for contenders. He's got some work to do, but, yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on him for sure. No, I don't know that it'll do much because the tough ratings are, are really in the commode. But if I'm the UFC, I'm using this to promote the current season of The Ultimate Fighter. I would say this guy didn't get past the first round, and he beat a top 10 flyweight opponent. What do you think these other guys are going to do that have advanced in the tournament? This is really, this really has a chance to reinvigorate the division, and this is already proof of that. We have an unranked guy who didn't make it past the first round come in and defeat Luis Smoka, who if they would have given a title shot, I don't think anybody would have been like, okay, slow down, let's not give him a title shot. And in the UFC flyweight division, four wins in a row are not easy to come by. Unfortunately, Luis got smoked. Yeah, no pun intended, of course. But this is this is what I'm saying about, you know, what we talk about every so often, how the UFC is supposed to be the Super Bowl of MMA. Uh, and there's, there's tiers uh, on the UFC roster from, you know, A-level, B-level, C-level. And the thing with the Ultimate Fighter is what we, you know, we talked about so much, even on my TV show back in the day, was I, I, I'd like to see champions from the grassroots level graduate to be on the Ultimate Fighter from every weight class, because that's the true, I guess, what the ultimate fighter is sort of designed for is to bring in the best of the best outside of the UFC and get them into the UFC. And what a great avenue to do it. 
by the Ultimate Fighter. So here's a situation where they're doing the Tournament of Champions, and Moreno can't even get into the show, but does get to the UFC and does what he does. So like you said, imagine what the other guys on the show are potentially capable of at 125 pounds. We said the other day that Josh Berkman may be fighting for his UFC career. He lost. And now he has one win in his last six fights. Uh, One in six in his uh, newest UFC run. He also fought way back from like 2005 to 2008. Also did not perform very well. He took on Zach Atow, not a person that people know of. This is a big loss for Berkman. I think he's gone, Joe. I think you're right. I mean, take nothing away from, um, you know, his career and what he's done. And, and obviously, Zach. I mean, Zach was – I sort of got some this, this vintage Rich Franklin uh, striking style out of him. But uh, he's crisp. He's tight. He's able to, you know, withstand anything you throw his way. And he's able to land those kicks left and right, left and right. You, I mean, you saw uh, Josh's legs. I'll give Josh some serious credit in the second round. There was an exchange in there where those two guys in the center of the octagon, they are going, and he was just getting tagged. And you see his head go back and his mouth go – like sort of like, ah, oh, and he just flipped a switch and he just started banging back. And Zach was like, whoa, what's going on here? So credit to Josh Berkman. He was, it wasn't like he wasn't in that fight. It was, it was a split decision and you could have went either way. I, I, I think Zach won the fight. Don't get me wrong. I think I, that's who I scored it for. But um, yeah, this could be the end uh, for Berkman's uh, at least run in the UFC. We'll, we'll see if he go, where he goes from here. I don't know what his relationship like, um, how, it, how sour it truly was with World Series of Fighting, or if it was really sour at all. But we'll see if he goes back there. But Good on Zach, you know, 170 pounds, obviously one of the deepest divisions as well as lightweight in the UFC. Tons of work for him to do, but uh, looked good, man. His, his striking was crisp. He can take it and he can give it. So looking forward to seeing his next fight for sure. Yeah, Zach, Zach Atal has shown some, some uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some advancements in his game, uh, for, for lack of better terms. For, I think I had 14 straight fights that didn't go to the third round just this year since April. He's had three fights that did go to the third round. One was a submission win uh, late in the third and a couple of decisions. So he's shown that he can go the distance now after that was questioned a little bit in his RFA career and his King of the Cage career, things of that nature. So this is a big win for him, 29 years old. Uh, A win over Josh Berkman, you can come into the UFC uh, with a lot less formidable opponents. So – Good for Zach Atal. Good way to get his name out there on the main card of a UFC on, on FS1 show. But yeah, then then things got real interesting, Joe. Uh, <laughs> God, I don't know how I feel about any of this. Like, I feel so dirty about this whole situation. Alex Cowboy Oliveira missed weight. And when I say he missed weight, like, if it were up to me, we would have – 155, 165, 175, 185, maybe 195, 205. If that were the case, Alex Oliveira would have come closer to that 165 weight limit than the 155 weight limit he was supposed to. He uh, was not supposed to come in over 175 pounds. I don't know if that were the case, was the case or not. I don't know, but Will Brooks is a guy who fought in Bellator. He's going to have a hard time, I'll say this, if he's not finishing at 155, he's going to have a lot of trouble. He's just going to have a lot of trouble because there are a lot of grindy fighters at 155. Early in the fight, uh, Alex Oliveira caught Will Brooks with a knee to the ribs that popped Will Brooks's rib out, according to him. And he was struggling the whole time. He was grimacing. 
lot, lots of – the pain was obvious on Will Brooks' face. Late in the fight, Alex Oliveira takes the advantage, gets on top, and threw some 12 to 6 elbows, Joe. I don't know how those went unnoticed. And afterwards, after the fight was finished, just moments later – he kind of did the old suck it sign to Will Brooks for quote unquote disrespecting him at the weigh-ins. Now this is a guy who missed weight monumentally, who made himself look like a world-class shithead, Joe. Very, yeah, that wasn't classy at all. That was complete and utter disrespect. And it makes his stock plummet. I mean, makes you look bad by doing something like that. I mean, this is a game, this is a, a business where people are going to talk trash about each other, but one of the worst things amongst fighters uh, or those close to fighters is the fact that you did not make weight. You were contracted to make a specific weight. This is why we have weight classes in this sport to prevent um, you know, these bigger fighters taking on these smaller fighters. If you say you're a welterweight, if you say you're a lightweight, if you say you're a middleweight, then you are contracted to make the specific weight to make things as even as possible. Now, if you open, if you decide to compete in an open weight Grand Prix like at Ryzen, then yes, then that's a t- completely different story. But in this side uh, of the pond, you you agree to make that weight, and if you don't make that weight, you should be expected to to hear it from your opponent who did their job to make that weight. Because everybody is general, not everybody, but the vast majority of fighters are much much bigger uh, than what they're contracted to compete against. But the fight before the fight is making weight, so he doesn't make weight. And he destroys it by being at 161.5 pounds. Of course, Will Brooks um, is going to say something. And then you go and you beat him. You beat him, in essence, fair and square. You pop his rib. um, You TKO'd him. Get up. Make sure your opponent's okay. Because that's basically the martial arts code for the most part. Make sure he's okay. We saw that with, you know, so many fighters. Nate Marquardt getting on his knees to ensure Tandon McCrory is okay after the walk-off head kick. You make sure your opponent's okay. Get up. Um, You know, you do your post-fight interview. You you, you. Come up with whatever excuse or, or valid reason as to why you didn't make weight. Shake your opponent's hand and you walk away. You don't do what you did, you know, the, the you know, degeneration X sign right there, suck it sort of thing and yap, yap, yap and whatever it is. But that's just totally not cool. And it makes him look really, really bad. And what's worse for Will Brooks is now Oliver admits that he's going to go up to welterweight now. So he may never get a chance to avenge this loss, despite the fact that he lost to a bigger guy. But, you know, in my head, part of me says this is an asterisk or asterisks on this fight here for Will Brooks, but he did lose fair and square to a, to a technique that popped the rib and good on Will Brooks for staying in there as much as he could uh, three minutes and 30 seconds into the final round. But, you know, in, in essence, he did lose fair and square. Yeah, absolutely. He lost fair and square, but this left a, a bad taste in my mouth. A lot of it because, you know, Brooks may never get that shot to face Oliveira again. That's the main thing. Like if he had that, well, if they had, if he had that opportunity, I'm sure they would book it right away. I'm sure they wouldn't have a problem booking it right away because you could throw that right back. Like before people were like, maybe not a formidable co-main event now. Hell yeah. Sign me up for, for a second fight between Will Brooks and Alex Oliveira, even though it wasn't the greatest fight. Joe, did, does Brooks also get 20% of Oliveira's win bonus? If they agreed upon it, yes. Okay. Uh, because I know that he got 20%. I know you get 20% of at least the show money if uh, the weight is missed, but I wasn't sure if the, the win bonus was in that. Here's something I'll ask you. Say a fighter making 10 and 10 faces a much 
like you know, a late last minute replacement fighter, just maybe a lower level fighter making ten thousand, ten thousand, faces a guy who makes fifty fifty or seventy five seventy five, and that person misses weight. Now, I I'm never one to to indulge in the conspiracy theories. If somebody's having trouble at home, what's to keep them from maybe tapping a little early if they're going to get 20% of their opponent's purse? And that 20% is more than they would make with a win. You know, yep. you could, of course, you could always make the argument, well, you could get a lot more if you make a, if you win a performance bonus. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy payday, uh, but puts a loss on your record. Now, the, the 20% of the win bonus is, to my understanding, extremely rare, and I don't think many people do agree upon it, uh, but it is something that's often thrown out there. It's got to get done on paper afterwards. In the contract, I know if you don't make weight, um, it's there, 20% of the show money. Uh, as for the win, it's, it is very, very rare, unless it's agreed upon. And you know, if you're that fighter who doesn't make weight, chances are you're still going to say no, but there's going to be some pressure from, you know, could be from the promotion, could be from your opponent. But yeah, I see what you're saying. If you're making 10 and 10, your opponent's making 50 and 50 uh, to get 20% of a hundred thousand. If that guy wins, it's 20 K, which is basically the exact same amount of money you'd make if you'd have won. So. Yeah. I saw some interesting ideas thrown around. Somebody says instead of 20%, why not offer a point deduction preemptively. What do you think about that? That was something like, I don't know how I feel about it, but I was like, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I don't think they'd ever do it though, but it, I, I can understand um, the reasoning behind it. It's just this, everyone's got this sort of make these guys or girls pay for not making weight. And I'm, I'm sort of behind it. I get it. You know, anything and everything to say, you know what, you agreed to this, you didn't do it, now you're going to pay even more. Some way, somehow, you're going to pay that you don't deserve to win this fight because, you know, you're coming in much bigger than your opponent or slightly bigger than your opponent. But, uh, yeah, and listen, if they were to add that somewhere in the Unified Rules of Mixed Martial Arts, I, I wouldn't debate it. I probably wouldn't fight it. Alex Oliveira has won five of his last six, so he is not chopped liver, not a terrible loss for, for Will Brooks, but this is Will Brooks's first loss since Syed Awad way back in 2013. He later avenged that loss. You know, I hope he gets the opportunity to avenge this one somehow, some way. I don't know if he will. I'm not like a big Will Brooks fan or anything of that nature, but I think he does deserve the opportunity to avenge it, given the way that everything went down. Not the injury. Injuries happen in MMA. Uh, Personally, Joe, if I were in the cage, I, as Ben Henderson said, I don't care if you slip on a banana peel. I'm taking that win. So, yeah, uh, I hope Will Brooks does get his chance. Guys, if you all haven't visited Fightful.com, go do that. Sign up. Register absolutely free at Fightful.com. You'll get early access to our podcast with Joe, uh, Matt Riddle, Vince Russo, all kinds of stuff there. Uh, Vince and Joe write for us multiple times a week. You also have Brandon Howard's financial analysis and uh, great reporting that he does. Alex Pawlowski's fantastic reaction articles. We do five to seven podcasts a week, some of them open, some of them early access for members only. You'll also get access to our forums, which are being overhauled. Our podcast page, we just redid it, made it a lot easier for you to navigate between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and weekend shows. So check that out, guys. Share the page on Facebook. Facebook groups, Reddit, Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, your support is very crucial to our success. So I want to thank you all so much for, for doing so. 
it means a lot. Uh, John Lineker, John Dodson, another case of missed weight. This one not nearly as egregious as the one before. But John Lineker, only John Lineker, Joe. Only John Lineker. I see you throwing up the five. Five Five times he's missed weight. times he's missed weight. Five. And this is a division that he jumped up to because he could not make 125 pounds. So at the risk of sounding speechless, Mr. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp, please continue. It's a shame the field's already set for that rise in open weight GP because he could make heavyweight. No doubt in my mind. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. You know, you know what? You know what? He'd find a way to weigh in at 267. <laughs> he would find a way. Uh, this fight was real good. This was just the power of John Lineker, the speed and technique of John Dodson. But it, like, it's so it's such an unusual thing to see at 125 and 135. You see the heavyweight thing. Like when, when John Lineker faints, people flinch. You don't see that a lot at 125, 135, because quite frankly, a lot of these guys are not afraid of getting knocked out because they know what kind of power is within those divisions. Uh, John Lineker has some special power, Joe, and it really changes fights. It changes game plans. It changes a lot of things. Yeah, you're 100% correct. And I, I got to wonder um, if John Dodson today, who I, I think, you know, you can make the argument he actually won this fight, but it makes you want to think that what else could he have done other than engage with John Lineker, which is generally bad news, and what, you know, Team Jackson Wink would kind of be like, hmm, we should have did this or could have did that because – you cannot, under any circumstances, stand and trade with a guy like John Lineker, which which leads me to I'll get to my this one point that's been circling in my head since the fight. Uh, but with Dotson, I mean he, he he couldn't stay in the line of. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fire. He had to move. He had to move. And you had Lineker mocking him uh, to the point once or twice in the fight that basically flipped the crowd from the American crowd right over uh, to now cheering for the Brazilian because they just want to see blood. They want to see these two guys stand and trade. They could care less that John Dodson is fighting the fight he should be fighting versus a guy like John Lineker. I don't care who you are. Um, you know, you, you can't sit there at 135 pounds and stand and trade with this guy. Uh, I think if anything, uh, and again, who am I to say, John Dodson was a bit more aggressive with his – um, stick and move, like actually land more, but he did land more. He did land thunderous shots. He did, you know, do a bit more. But when he decided to launch that left hand, it was there. It was landing. And it was just that you, sometimes when you launch it, you can't throw your full power behind it like John Lineker because when you do, you're stationary. And that's what John Lineker wants. He wants to throw those left and right hooks nonstop and hope that one of those things land, which then rocks you, which then he can go in and do the finish. So uh, a very t- it's, it, he's a hard guy to fight against. So uh, moving to the point that's, that's swirling in my head, you know, if Lineker was to get that title shot versus Dominic Cruz, can you imagine if Dominic Cruz embarrasses John Lineker? Because then it would really 
put some separation between number one in this division, the champion, versus everybody else. And it seems like John Lineker has gone through this division and said, hey, uh, I am pretty much the best in this division. Uh, no one could really stand with me. Although, you know, there's obviously TJ Dillashaw and, and well, Uriah Faber coming off that loss. But it, it's one of those things where it's like if, if Cruz can dominate and do what he does versus opponents, especially against John Lineker, man, we might have ourselves a situation where who's going to beat Cruz anytime soon? Can you believe that Lineker once lost to a Luis Godno? Yeah, right. Isn't that crazy? The green-haired fellow. I remember that. He's won 10 of 11 since. He's won six in a row. But I don't think that this loss does anything uh, – I don't think it does anything bad for John Dodson. It was a really close split decision loss, which you could argue in Dodson's favor against a guy who missed weight. So I don't think it hurt Dodson one bit. It showed that Dodson could stand in there with the power of John Lineker for five rounds, and that's not something that you see a lot. Uh, Rob Font made it to three rounds. Ian McCall made it to three rounds. But lately, like like Michael McDonald just ate it, and Francisco Rivera, didn't, didn't he barely lasted, what, two minutes before he got choked out? And then you had that crazy run at flyweight where, where he missed weight several times, but I don't think this hurts John Dodson, and, and that's a good thing. This was not a bad thing for the division as a whole because you got a real contender out of John Lineker. Now they have options. If they want to go to TJ Dillashaw, they can go to TJ Dillashaw. They want to go to Cardi, Cody Garbrandt, that, that's an option. John Lineker, also an option. This isn't something that you've seen a lot of in the Bantamweight division in recent years. It's been a fight made out of necessity not out of, well, we have all these options opened up. Let's let's play around with them. I don't know who Dominic Cruz's next opponent will be. I think first things first, I think you're absolutely bang on with the Dotson comment. This doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't hurt him one bit because again, you can make the argument that he won this fight. He he firmly believes he won this fight. I'm confident Sean Shelby, uh well, I shouldn't say I'm confident with Sean Shelby because he's got a different look at at anything and everything in life. Uh, but I'm assuming Sean Shelby and, and Joe Silva look at this fight and say, yeah, you know what? Dotson technically could have won this fight. It doesn't hurt him at all. We're still going to put him in big fights. It's not like it was, it was Brandon Moreno versus, uh, you know, Louis Smolka. That hurts your stock, right? That's, that's something that shouldn't have happened to you. Uh, the fact that this fight between Lineker and Dotson was that close and it could have went either way, I don't think it hurts Dotson at all. To the point where if there's a title fight announced, and he could step in for an injured uh, challenger, I'm sure the UFC would do it. Um, so, yeah, but again, with Dominic Cruz, you know, there, there, there is Cody Garbrandt, there is um, John Lineker, there is TJ Dillashaw. We already know that, you know, he sort of called out Cody Garbrandt and left to see that fight himself. Uh, I'm sure in, in his mind, and it's a champion's mentality sometimes, he'll never admit it. Uh, you know, if, if there's those three fights, which one technically is the easiest for Dominic Cruz? you got to think it's Cody Garbrandt. He's already fought... Um, TJ Dillashaw has already beaten him. Uh, it's another team alpha male guy, and he's not as technically powerful as John Lineker, where Cruz could potentially get his head knocked off. So uh, if, if Cruz has his way, I think it's Cordy Garbrandt. I think if the UFC has their way, it's probably going to be John Lineker. That was UFC Portland. We're going to get into some headlines. Uh, Ruslan Magomedov is the latest fighter to, viol- or to be notified of a potential USADA testing violation. Bad news for him. Uh, Jose Aldo claims GSP wants $10 million to fight Conor McGregor, and the UFC wouldn't give it to him. Joe, based on what we know now and the amount paid for the UFC and how well they're doing on pay-per-view, $10 million is probably a bargain for George St. Pierre. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's some. I I, I got to think a few things with George St. Pierre, and, and number one is that he's sponsored by Under Armour, uh, and wearing Reebok inside of an octagon or, or for the UFC uh, could be a bit of a sticking point. Um, and he would love to fight Conor McGregor, believe you me. Uh, but at the same time, there's some other things outside of fighting uh, that are the issue. But ten million dollars to to get GSP to fight Conor McGregor, I don't think that's that the UFC would make that 10 times over on a pay-per-view. I don't think it's under uh, if GSP fought Zach Atow, I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> I, right. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I think that he a uh, return fight with GSP does a lot of money. So the UFC is not only owned by WMEIMG and this shows you how savvy the guys are as well. They offered share the, the opportunity for their clients to buy shares of the company. Many of them did that, including Ben Affleck, Michael Bay, Tom Brady, Rob Deerdeck, Guy Fieri, Flea and Anthony Kiedis, Calvin Harris, Jimmy Kimmel, Robert Kraft, Adam Levine, LL Cool J, Cam Newton, Conan O'Brien, Trey Parker of South Park, Tyler Perry, Maria Sharapova, Sylvester Stallone, Mark Wahlberg, the Williams sisters, all I have to say is, Joe, how are we not invited? Well, the other question is not just that, but are they going to be guests on our show moving forward? Seeing as they're part of the Open Fighting Championship, let's get them on. I would love that. The Red Hot Chili Peppers are one of my favorite rock bands of all time. I would love that. That would be awesome. Uh, great move because now all of these guys will likely be pushing the UFC on their social media, on everything like that. WMEIMG stepping right in and doing, as I said, a very savvy thing. I thought, you know, $4.2 billion, a lot of people were like, really? It's worth that much? Well, when you have that type of star power behind it, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. I think with all these, you know, quote-unquote new owners that have shares and stocks into the company, company, yeah. Like you said, the power of social media, the power of appearances. And, and that's if you look back in the day how the UFC continued to grow, uh, get back onto pay-per-view, when they were on pay-per-view, they would always have stars in the audience and focus on the stars. That's also mixed martial arts promotion one at the grassroots level. Try and get stars there that would sign audience. Uh, sometimes you've got to pay for that, but it looks your brand, makes your brand look really, really good. Uh, and now you've got these quote-unquote owners uh, or people that have shares in it, again, like you said, with their social media, with all of their social media combined, uh, I'm pretty sure it crushes the UFC and Dana White's alone. So now you've got all these people that are going to be promoting it, uh, whether it's on uh, social media, whether it's in interviews, at their concerts, at their events, whatever it is, it's just going to make the UFC look bigger. And it's one of those things I had a question about now that there's new ownership involved. What are they going to do strategically to continue to promote this brand, which you know, in my country has taken a hit. It's taken a pretty big hit uh, in Canada. Uh, but not globally. Not, not this, I, don't, I don't know what it's like in the States, what it was. You know, for, I'll throw this to you, what the, the brand value of the Ultimate Fighting Championship in late 2014 uh, to, I guess, we're getting to late 2016. Has it gone up? Has it gone down? Is it the same? So I don't know. You tell me. Oh, it's gone up, especially as far as pay-per-view, because Conor McGregor, that's the reason. Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey have – I'll put it like this. A few years ago when – our local MMA gym started, there was a boom. It was 2009. So there was the Brock Lesnar boom, as we called it. The Brock Lesnar GSP thing. It was in the public eye. Class attendance was through the roof. Class attendance is back up now. I would I would attribute that a lot to well the success, the success of our own team. But Ronda Rousey, 
and Conor McGregor making it mainstream again. We went through that that period for a couple of years where it really struggled, but especially on pay-per-view, but I think it's come back. And I think once Anthony Kiedis, Flea, Calvin Harris, and LL Cool J do a brand new remix of Face the Pain, it's going to go <laughs> even higher. Can you imagine if they did that? You know what? I'm not going to lie to you. That'd be awesome. It would, it would, they would make it awesome. I, I think they could do it. Now, let me just make a, just a quick point to what I was mentioning there because I'm not – this is what I've been telling people uh, around these parts who come to me basically and say, hey, what's going on with your TV show? Where are you? What are you doing now? And I'm like, hey, man, check out Fightful.com. Check out my social media. I do podcasts every week. I do two week. And I'm writing articles again. I'm doing commentary for Titan and Verizon. So I'm still around. They're like, oh, no way. That's cool. And then, you know, my, my social media kind of goes up a little bit. But they're like, is the UFC actually airing in Canada? And I'm like, yeah, well, technically it is. Uh, and the funniest thing ever, okay, so get this, my wife, okay, my wife obviously has been around me my, you know, for, the, for my whole adult life. We've been together for nearly 20 years, uh, 13 years marriage. Um, she comes to me last night. I'm on the couch. I've got my little guy, Sean. As you know, the six, almost six-year-old has to watch fights with daddy, and in between rounds, we have to fight. Uh, when he hears the clap from the from the ten seconds, he's got to get on the floor and he's bobbing and weaving, and you know we got to fight in between rounds, and you know I let him just beat the crap out of me. My wife was catching up on her shows. She comes into the room, okay, and I don't know what time this was, and I am literally Sean. I shouldn't be mentioning this publicly, but I'm going to be honest, full transparency, head back, snoring. She comes in there. She's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be working. Do you want me to make you a coffee? She's like, what's happening with the UFC? Right? I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I looked over and I'd lost an hour and a half of the broadcasts. And when I say broadcasts, you notice it's plural. It's not broadcast. Because the way it used to be on, when, when the UFC was on Sportsnet, and she's like, why isn't it like this way anymore? It used to air on Sportsnet. One channel. Okay? They have five channels or six mm-hmm. channels. But it would, the prelims would air, and then the main card would air straight on one channel. It's not like that anymore. Now it airs on two channels here. One on this station, the prelims, then on another station with the main card. So it's confused the viewers for the past year and a half to where am I watching these UFCs? And you wonder why half of these stars aren't being built or recognized in Canada because you've never seen them on the prelims if you don't have a specific station. And then when they get to the prelim or when they get to the actual main card of a UFC over a year or two, who are these guys in people's minds? They don't know who they are. Right. So it's it's, the same thing here. It's on, which I mean, good God, I can't name all the places prelims have aired. Fox, FS1, FS2, Fuel, G4, Facebook, YouTube, Fight Pass, uh, Spike. They have aired everywhere. I know I'm missing some ion, like over the past six years, I think over ten different networks have aired. US. No, no I'm, not, I'm not talking. I'm not talking over the past, you know, decade or so. I'm talking just in the past, like year and a half, almost two years, where, sure, yeah. right, where I mean, they, they had the deal with Fox. If it's either on Fox FS1 or FS2, um, that I could understand. Like for example, if it was on Sportsnet uh, Ontario or just Sportsnet East or Sportsnet One. It was still within the Sportsnet family. Now it's not like that here. Now it's separated into two completely different stations. Uh, and if you're not subscribing or it's not promoted accordingly, I mean, you, you can promote that, you know, the, the prelims are airing on this station here. But if nobody watches that station or isn't following that social media, they aren't aware of it, right? So it's been a, it's been a bit of a challenge here uh, the past year and a half. But 
the one thing, and, and I'm sorry, I was when you were talking, I was actually looking at to see if I can go far back as I can uh, to see a, a conversation I had with Dana White back in the day by text that, you know, it, it, was, it was Ronda Rousey. When Ronda Rousey was on, the numbers were big in Canada. And now, obviously, with Conor McGregor, they're bigger. But when Ronda, when Ronda Rousey hasn't competed in forever, um, and, and Conor McGregor has, and he's been, he's been that one name, Sean, that people have stopped me uh, in the street, whether it's friends and families or, or just casual strangers, uh, to talk to me. What's the latest with him? And, of course, what's going on with GSP? Is he ever coming back? I literally just did my, my year-end corporate taxes and went to go see my accountant, uh, who I brought to UFC 129 when GSP fought Jake Shields at the Rogers Center. Uh, and the first thing he said to me wasn't just, hey, how you doing? How's things? Is GSP coming back? So there is this, this wanting for GSP to come back from a Canadian perspective because he was the face of, the, of, of our sport. He was the face of, of the UFC, and we don't really have that here anymore. So the UFC here, Sean, has taken a fair dip with the exception of when Conor McGregor fights. You know, I'm, I could be speaking out of greed. I just wish it was back to where it was before where we were filling the Rogers Center at 55,000 and selling out um, you know, Calgary and selling out Vancouver, selling out Winnipeg, and, and not just having fight night shows um, in Canada. We were having real pay-per-views in the country. Yeah, it sucks to hear that because, I mean, we don't seem that far removed from GSP selling out the Rogers Center. Or was it was it the Rogers Center? Yeah, Rogers Center, UFC 129, April of 2011, if I'm not mistaken. I think, well, if he if he comes back, that's definitely going to reinvigorate it. But, yeah, it's it sucks because that was a big market for them. It was, it was a big called, market. They would have called it the mecca of MMA. Yeah. And no it's really, I mean, you, you could blame GSP a little bit, but you can't blame anybody for not wanting to fight. Either way, a couple more headlines before we go. Ryan Bader or uh, Alex Gustafson out. Ryan Bader in UFC two or one hundred UFC Fight Night one hundred. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Against <laughs> Little Noguera. I was hoping they would do something special for Fight Night one hundred, but they're not doing it. Yeah, I, two, I, I, I was thinking two missable thing. cards, two missable cards in one day because Fight Night ninety nine is that day as well. Oh boy. Eddie Alvarez says Conor McGregor is handpicking his opponents. Well, here's the thing about that, Joe. He is, but that's out of the – this isn't like Floyd Mayweather handpicking opponents. This is a little bit different. The opponents that Mayweather, that McGregor handpicked for him are actually dangerous. Listen, Sean, uh, I'm getting a headache, okay? I don't understand – why prize fighters don't understand prize fighting and the art of prize fighting, okay? When you get to a certain level, you can pick your opponents because you are commanding pay-per-view money. You are commanding respect. You've earned it. You can do it. That is prize fighting, okay? That's what it's all about. And I'm not taking shots at Eddie Alvarez. I'm not taking shots at Jose Aldo Jr., whose comments um, regarding um, Dana White and, and Conor McGregor are part baffling to me. But again, these guys, for some reason, they know the history of fights, boxing and MMA and maybe uh, Muay Thai and stuff like that, but they don't look at the, the, the business of the sport. This is what it's about. The whole point is to get to a certain level where you're making so much money that your kids as kids as kids are going to be fine. And part of that is, quote, on making your opponent. And like you said, he's not picking guys that are, that are 
easy to defeat. He's picking tough guys, you know, and Connor understands the business. You've heard him say it so many times uh, in a lot of his commentary and his quotes and his social media posts and taking a direct shot at the, at the pre-fight press conference for UFC 205 uh, at, um, you know, at Eddie Alvarez saying, this guy didn't even negotiate more money to fight me. He is taking it at the fight of his contract. Like that is ridiculous. And Connor is unfortunately correct. In that type of situation, your management should be like, oh, we're fighting Conor McGregor as the main event for UFC 205. Well, somewhere in this contract, it says that if you are a pay-per-view headliner and you get points, you can also do this and you can also do that. So Conor's not a dummy. Neither is his management. They know this. And that's why this guy is making reported $3 million, $5 million, $10 million, $20 million, $25 million per fight because this is a business. It's not just fighting. So when I hear this kind of stuff there, I don't know if you read the quotes uh, from, from Jose Aldo Jr. about, you know, he doesn't believe anything Dana White says. Well, welcome to the UFC <laughs> since 2001, you know, and he's done it to everybody and anyone so many times. He's going to do what's right for the business first. And if you want to walk away from the sport and be happy, you're not getting released because you're not going to Bellator. You're not going to Ryzen. You're not going anywhere else. They're not going to release you. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do because if they – obviously haven't been happy with him. He just doesn't promote himself outside of Brazil. So, and that's what they want. So it's, you, you hear some of the stuff that he says and, you know, Conor McGregor, it's the Mickey Mouse show and he calls the shots. Yes. That's the point guys. Come on. What is Alvarez saying about himself? Because McGregor handpicked him. Like, do you, do you remember when the, the super weird narrative was that Conor McGregor hadn't fought anybody? Yeah, you're right. hundred percent. How how stupid does that look now? Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier? How dumb does that look now? Max Holloway might beat Jose Aldo if they fight. Right? It's just, but that that's just, you know, it's a lot of the, the stuff that, that, you know, the good thing about, you know, I was happy to have done this podcast when I was told by Jimmy Van, you know, you're doing podcasts with Sean Ross Sapp. I was like, you know what? Finally, I got a guy uh, who doesn't get stuck in recency bias that has the opportunity to look at a, at a fight or a situation and look historically and also look forward, not just focus in the moment where you get a lot of these media guys and, and podcasters and, and people that write articles where it's just recency bias and they take shots at people. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to look at it, in my opinion, you have to look at it analytically from when have I ever taken a shot at anybody? Right. No, but you know what I'm saying, but you know, it's, it's not a situation (laughs) where they're all they're trying to do is just get clickbait and, trying to get, you know, headlines and people look at that. It's, it's yeah, we're going to do that at times, but we're also going to look at a fighter in a situation and say, okay, where does he come from or her? What's he doing now? And what does his future look like? And, you know, it, it is what it is. You can't fault certain people for being in a certain fight. If this is what's offered to you, this is what you take. And Conor McGregor's never fought a wrestler and he hasn't beaten anybody and yada, yada, yada. Well, look where he is right now. He's a top draw in the sport. Something that, you know, I had predicted a long time ago when he, I remember – I forgot what, what UFC we were at when I, I was, when Dana White used to do scrums and I'm tweeting it out and people are like, you know, give Conor McGregor uh, somebody better. And Dana said, look, Conor McGregor, we're, we're not just going to feed him wolf. And then Conor replied back to me on social media saying, I eat wolves for breakfast. And I turned it around and I showed Dana White the tweet or, or the reply and it just had everybody laughing. You know, myself, Kevin Ioli, Ariel Helwani at the time. Everybody was just laughing, going, this kid is something else. Well, lo and behold, look where he is right now. Also, worth noting, when you break the UFC pay-per-view record twice, and that's just pay-per-view, Conor McGregor 
beat Brock Lesnar, GSP, Dan Henderson's UFC 100 record just on pay-per-view. If you add in UFC.tv, the YouTube sales, the, the PS3, PS4, Xbox sales, apparently that number goes up maybe 30 to 40%, Joe. He may have sold two pay-per-views over 2 million Two million buys. That's unbelievable. And Joe, don't kid yourself. It, you know, you know who's paying attention to that? Well, probably the UFC, WME, IMG, Conor McGregor, everybody. Who? George St. Pierre. Oh, of course. He wants those records back. You know he does. Yep. Believe me. I'm telling you from firsthand experience, he wants those records back. Joe, any parting words for the people before I go talk some pro wrestling? Nope, not at all. Looking forward to our next podcast. i got a couple articles uh, to write before that, or at least one for sure, but I'm looking forward uh, to breaking down the next card uh, with Bisping Henderson because that's got angles and storylines, and I love the commercial uh, or the promos that UFC is doing for that. What do you give uh, to someone that has everything? Revenge. I love it. Fantastic. Absolutely. That, that comes on Wednesday, that podcast. Showdown Joe's uh, column about Chris Cyborg in a 145 division drops tomorrow. He wrote a lot for us last week, so we had to space those out. Joe. I will talk to you Wednesday, my friend. Enjoy it, man. Thanks. Guys, TNA Bound for Glory is tonight. We do have a live viewing party. No live podcast right after unless something monumental happens. Otherwise, I'll talk about it tomorrow night on the show. But, you know, if they sell to Ring of Honor or WWE or something crazy happens, I will do a short podcast. But join our live viewing party tonight. We had the Ring of Honor All-Star Extravaganza uh, live viewing party the other night. A lot of people saying it was an incredible show. I thought it was an okay show. I didn't think it was like the greatest show I had ever seen. I thought that the main event ladder wars was, or ladder war was pretty fun. I thought it was really awesome. It was a car crash, but it was a car crash worth watching. I liked it a lot. I thought they did some innovative stuff. Not easy to do some innovative stuff after that type of match has been around for nearly 20 years but they did it. They went in there and they, they did some cool new stuff. They did some some new things. They, they switched it up a little bit. The Kamatachi Dragon Lee match was not my cup of tea. I know a lot of people liked it. I did not. They're, you know, I'm an advocate of the cruiserweight style. I like it. I think that it works. I don't think it is, quote, unquote, unrealistic. At some point, you do cross the line. When you have two or three Canadian destroyers in one match and it doesn't pin somebody – well, what does that do for everybody else on the card? And some people will be like, well, tough titty says the kitty. Not me. You, you, at some point, it's too much. And there were multiple times that I, multiple times in any Ring of Honor card, not just this time. But the crowd was ready for it to end. They were ready for this move to end it. And they seemed a little deflated when that didn't happen. So that, that bummed me out a little bit. The Adam Cole... Michael Elgin match didn't deliver so much, man. Adam Cole's still putting on some size after he got sick. So hopefully uh, he gets to back to 100% soon because they, they need him there. Jay Lethal against Naito. It was a fun match. wasn't a great match or anything. I thought it was middle of the road. The uh, Kushida, ACH, and Jay White, super ACH rather, over the Briscoes and Toriano. I can't stand Toriano. I don't like, I don't like his deal. Either way, it was a good batch. Like that too. I like the six-man tag team tournament thing that they're doing. I like the addition of those titles. That's absolutely fine. Maybe they can have some success with it. I hope they can. 
the, the Lucha Underground does with the trios. That's one of my favorite things about Lucha Underground when I get to watch it are, are the trios. Like, I fell in love with Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico over the, that, that tournament. Or not that tournament, th- those titles. Kyle O'Reilly defeated Adam Page. O'Reilly seems poised to face uh, face Adam Cole. So that looks like that's going to reemerge as he goes through members of the Bullet Club. So I'm cool with that. I love Kyle O'Reilly. I think he's one of the best workers in the world. I think he's one of the most fun workers to watch in the world as well. So I'm all on board with Kyle O'Reilly, maybe even getting a title run. That would be cool. Bobby Fish versus Dijak. Dijak and Fish had a, had a pretty good match. It was okay. Not the best I've seen Dijak. Bobby Fish is incredible. He's not slowing down. Like, a lot of people are like, well, nobody – WWE won't ever take a look at him because he's too old. They don't They don't give a damn. Not anymore. They're bringing back Shelton Benjamin at 41. Maybe 42 once he comes back from his injury. Dalton Castle and Colt Cabana over War Machine. The Cabinet, Shane Taylor and Keith Lee. Taylor and Lee are deceptively athletic, those guys. ANX, Rhett Titus and Kenny King, they are so flat now. I used to think they were just the coolest thing since sliced bread back when Kings of Wrestling, Briscoes, and World's Greatest Tag Team were around. They had that hot tag team scene. And their tag team scene right now isn't bad. But Dalton Castle and Colt Cabana got the win. I like this pairing, but I think they had really missed out on a singles run with Dalton Castle. I think he's special. I think he's different. I think he's a lot of fun. The tapings apparently happened in front of not very many people. Rough. Rough in the attendance, uh, I'm told. I'm not going to give away any spoilers right now. You can go to Fightful.com and read those. Go to Fightful.com for... Tons of live viewing parties, everything on Fight Pass, Bellator, UFC, TNA, Ring of Honor, things of that nature. Our schedule will be getting a little more on track from here moving forward. I do know in a couple weeks I have to go to Cincinnati for a work-related project. But um, So so after the, the Philippines card for UFC, we'll be moving that around a little bit. But things are returning to uh, normal as far as our schedule goes. You can find our schedule at Fightful.com slash podcast. You will see pictures. It, it'll help out a lot. There's a beautiful picture of my face up there. I I didn't do that. I promise you guys I don't design the site. But, hey, the designers wanted it up there. Jimmy Van wanted it up there. So who the hell am I to say no? Guys, I want to thank you all so much. I love your feedback. I love uh, your interaction on our discuss forums on each story. I love that. Share it with people. Let people know. We, we offer you a little more freedom than a lot of websites do on those forums. Obviously, we don't want any hate speech and things like that, but we, we offer you a lot, a lot more leeway. And our forums are being overhauled. We want that to become the next big thing for our website. Uh, but yeah, I've been getting the traffic numbers. They look really good, and I want to thank you all so much for, for helping us out, for supporting us. It really means a lot. Go over to Fightful.com. Vince Russo has a great story up from our Friday podcast. Apparently, Dixie Carter didn't know what kayfabe was until 2010. Check out that story on the main page of Fightful.com. Until tomorrow night, after Monday Night Raw, we are out.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.